safe space where healing might take place where everyone is valued. Giving tools to maintain where equity matters. Less talk, more action, where anyone is welcome. Don't send them home packing, this is strong talk. When conversation pops off, speak life, reflect hope, promote choice and love, folk. Strong talk, real talk, no jokes, recovery, culture, community. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Strong Talk, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of equity, diversity, and family as it relates to mental health and addictions, a space not only to talk about challenges, but to explore and create space for solutions. I'm your host, Vic Armstrong. I want to thank you all for joining me on this journey. I'm joined today by Douglas Reed, Executive Consultant, the Black Excellence Festival. Doug, good to have you with me today. Always a pleasure, Vic. Uh, Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I know you are a very, very busy man. And, um, you know, I, I, I know like 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 most of the listeners, um, I'm just anxious to hear more about the Black Excellence Festival, but also the work you've been doing in general around empowering uh, Black men to talk about mental health challenges and creating space to really think differently about what strength means, what uh, what it means to be to be vulnerable, just so many different things we could touch on. But uh, but tell me a little bit about this festival. What, tell me about the genesis of this festival and then what it is um, that you're trying to accomplish through this, this Black Excellence Festival. Yeah, the, the festival actually, uh, June 16th through the 18th, um, Atlantic City, New Jersey, uh, bringing festival, uh, you know, from comedy shows to, uh, uh, to, to parties. And also we're having a uh, men of color panel. Uh, one of the things that happens is the fact that um, based on my prior experience with, you know, working as far as, you know, empowering Black men, uh, I was brought on this task to help bring in Black men and Black families. Uh, one of the things that, you know, the beauty of the Atlantic City is the simple fact that back in the day, it was actually known as the Chicken Bone Beach, uh, mm-hmm. where you have Martin Luther King, Sammy Davis Jr., all those individuals were coming down there. So kind of bringing that back to Atlantic City and of course their, their, their empowerment uh, where we bring in families, they have the arcade on the Showboat Hotel there. And so it's really about empowering, just like we're talking about, about the mental health. We have mental health and wellness panels. We got Malik Yoba, we got some stars. They're actually gonna be in there. So it's it's along those lines and of course, when we talk and going further about empowering not only black men but the black families, yeah. What is it about um, empowering black families and black men in, in, in particular? Um, what is it about it that makes it challenging to the point where um, we're seeing more and more space created just for this conversation that it doesn't doesn't always come up organically. It doesn't come up in uh, in other settings, what is it that's unique about this conversation with Black men? Well, one, because uh, I have to revert back to myself. Uh, I've always, I, I've never been very vulnerable to receive uh, anything from, let's say, another Black man or mm-hmm. even within our community. So I think about all my trials and tribulations throughout life uh, and some of the, the disparities that we're faced with in our communities uh, mark being marginalized. I think my experiences, and then I found out I had a voice mm-hmm. actually empowered me to be vulnerable, share my feelings, share some of the things that I was going through to actually be an example and show other black men and families that, you know, we could walk this process out, but we can do it together. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you talk about uh, some of the the, um, the the things that we face growing up as a black man, I mean, it, it obviously resonates with me growing up, um, you know, not only growing up as a black man, but growing up as a black man in the rural South, that there are a lot of things that are unique uh, to the black experience. And I, I find that one of the challenges, and, I, and I'd be interested in your thoughts in, on this, that one of the challenges also that we face, I think, is that when, when black men do go into um, mental health treatment settings, um, oftentimes what I hear black men saying is that the conversation, the treatment modalities don't speak to the experience of a black man. It is much more of a generic conversation uh, that pinpoints um, certain things that you may say, certain things that you may do, and then categor categorizes those things to give you a diagnosis. But unless it takes into account the experiences of structural exclusion, of systemic racism, and things that black men have experienced, those, those experiences um, as a black man talks about them can often sound like paranoia or, um, you know, some, some other, um, um, some, some other negative thing, as opposed to this is just my experience as a black man in America. Um, have you found that to be true? Yeah. Um, and a lot of that comes from the being safe and secure. Uh, being in an environment to be safe and then uh, being able to open up about some of the experiences that we go through. Uh, yeah. You know, even like like I worked in the prison for, you know, 20 years, 25 years. Yeah. You know, that was at the height of mass incarceration. Yeah. But everything that was going on in our communities, uh, being, you know, the police brutality. So uh, us actually seeing this and then trying to come in an environment to express mm -hmm. ourselves from things that we didn't see, we didn't trust the system. Yeah. And if we don't trust the system, then it's gonna be very difficult for us to share our thoughts, our feelings on how the system works because we've seen so many different disparities in it where we don't trust it. And, and now we're getting to a point, you know, as going forward, you know, this podcast, we're getting to a point now we're using our voice and letting mm -hmm. other black men, you know, see that, you know, we can, get them to a place where they feel safe and then express their thoughts. And when you talk about um, feeling safe and creating those safe spaces, what's the difference in, in a space that's safe versus a space that is, um, like I hear people talk all the time about, about um, courageous conversations, bold spaces. But to me, there's a difference in a bold space and a safe space. Um, because to me, being bold sometimes can lead to bad consequences for black and brown communities. Speaking boldly can lead to bad consequences for black and brown communities. So how do you create that safe space uh, where you're not just asking people to be vulnerable and risk harm, but you are telling them it is it is safe to be who you are in this space and to share in this space. And, and maybe even use, using the, the, um, the Black Excellence Festival as an example, how do you create a safe environment in that space? Well, one is uh, being transparent, mm -hmm. uh, being able to express my thoughts, you know, my feelings, the things that I'm vulnerable, my experiences that led to, uh, you know, I've been divorced a couple of times. I, I've, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I've been bankrupt financially. Uh, you know, I've been faced racism. So all those things to express. Now, 
you know, when you get men, you know, and I have to bring up uh, Black Men Heal, you know, Black Men Heal gives, gives the free therapy to Black men, uh, eight free sessions. And we did a, a thing called King's Corner that we were doing virtually uh, every Sunday at 7 p.m., still going on. Uh, and then one of the things that we did was called a, uh, a King's Corner tour. And we were able to get Black men to come into this tour only because of what they heard virtually, but then they trusted us. They trusted us as individuals. And it's very hard to get, uh, th there's that thing of that that strength. Mm -hmm. uh, when you start talking about removing the stigma around certain things, then we talk about mental health. Now we're talking about something that we never talked about even at our dinner tables. Mm -hmm. We never talked about, you know, you, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure you played uh, sports in you know high school. Mm -hmm. We never talked. We talked about mentality. We talked about being mentally tough. Yeah, yeah. Never talked about mental health. We never talked about mental health awareness. We never talked about some of the things within our families that, uh, let's say, somebody was bipolar or going through something. You know, the the, the family, the community. Everybody said they were just crazy. Yeah. You know, those are what are things that, you know, we, I mean, define mental health. If you, we had to define mental health, you know, back in those days. Yeah. I was just being crazy. Yeah. And, you know, to, to that point too, we don't, black men don't really have the language a lot of times to talk about vulnerability. You know, we just have not been socialized that way to be able to talk about what it means to feel scared or lonely or, uh, or to feel vulnerable. And even even now when black men talk about, um, you know, I, that it's okay to be vulnerable, I'm not sure oftentimes that we are all saying the same things, you know, about what that means, speaking the same language, but what that means to be vulnerable. Um, so how do, do you have thoughts on what, um, outside of a setting like a Black Excellence Festival, whether we're talking about, you know, in the home space, the workspace, um, do you have thoughts on what, people can do to help men of color and black men in particular to feel like it's more of a safe space to be vulnerable, to be themselves. I, I think you just raised a great point uh, when we talk about vulnerability, because, you know, when you talk vulnerability, uh, first, you know, first thing that I've heard you know, gentlemen say, you know, they, they associate with vulnerability as far as being gay or being mm -hmm. weak, uh, something like that. So, but when you start about being vulnerable, you know, one of the things, a very close friend of mine, Dr. Alfie, um, she actually made a statement that your feelings are valid mm -hmm. in our relationships. Like no matter, they may be inadequate or sometimes we're a little off, mm -hmm. but our feelings matter because that's what I'm expressing. So when we able, being vulnerable means able to express your feelings and not having that be so judgmental. Yeah. Then trusting that space to actually be able to talk more. I mean, people like yourself, but, I mean, you think about the work that you, you've done as a social worker, having that ability, you know, uh, and we talked about it, you know, even going forward with, with the church conversation. Right. But having that ability to find a trusted individual, especially within a black man, to express your feelings, not being judged, yeah. not putting stigma on you, but being able to really want to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation on how you feel, yeah. not to be criticized, to be weak or anything like that.
but trying to get you a place where it's all about your, your mental health, all about the awareness and all about the, that healing of some of those traumas. Yeah. What I've discovered, and I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not a therapist, but in my conversations with men, a lot of their issues happen when they were in their childhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting you say that too because, uh, you know, we we both have done work with the Black Church, um, and, you know, we we focus in large part on the Black Church because the Black Church has traditionally been the, the gateway to the Black community. But one of the things I have found in working with the Black church is that um, one of the challenges oftentimes is that faith leaders have not dealt with their own trauma, uh, oftentimes going back to childhood. And, and that, you know, sometimes could be an impediment to them allowing um, you to come in and, and do things in the church in that faith-based space, even to, to provide healing to, uh, especially to other, other men. You know, one other thing too, you, I know you, and you mentioned it briefly a few minutes ago, but you, um, you also were affiliated with Black Men Heal. And um, I'd love to, for you to talk a little bit about that. I will say this about Black Men Heal. I have a, a couple of Black Men Heal t-shirts and, um, you know, I wear one every once in a while. And it is amazing the kind of response you get um, that just really reinforces to me that there are a lot of brothers out here who are hurting because I'll get questions like what does that mean you know, what, what, is there is there something local um you know how can i find out more about that because just when you talk about um healing for black men uh black men are hurting in so many areas that uh, just the idea of healing is is appealing yeah um i was actually the director of partnerships for black men heal also did some of their marketing. Uh, actually, I was the one that actually <laughs> sent all the t-shirts out. So yeah. that was me <laughs> getting that the orders out to you. Uh, so Black Man Heal actually concentrates on removing that stigma around uh, mental illness or mental mm-hmm. health. And then uh, removing the financial barrier uh, around costs uh, because they get free, eight free sessions and they actually do it in eight different states. Uh, and expanding, you know, um, especially with everything that's going on with the compact, uh, re- I mean, compact uh, agreements, you know, mm-hmm. hoping to even go further because now we, we're the therapists are able to practice in, you know, other states. But the thing about it, uh, what I learned because I became a, like a face for Black Men Hill, uh, that there was an experience because you said it. I didn't even realize for myself how many men were, were hurting. And, and, and one of the bold statements is black men heal. That's taking a broad a, approach to it. That's taking, like you, you mentioned before, that's taking a bold approach. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that, you know, I know we're only short on time, but you're talking about the imposter syndrome. You're talking about so many, so many different things. So, when people see, and along with myself, when they see something, they say black men heal based on everything that we saw. George yeah. Floyd, when we seen George Floyd murdered, that was a real big wake up call for us. And yeah. seeing it and then able to express our feeling because we were all hurt. So that organization provides the free therapy to black men in eight, eight different states and with, you know, eliminating the cost barrier by doing it for free. Yeah. So in your in your experience, um, as you have really leaned heavily into this this space around um, mental well-being and mental wellness for black men, 
Um, do you feel like we're making strides in the right direction? I do. Um, and just like we we made in our conversations, like I make a vow to do more um, because, you know, with everything that's going on, you know, we talked about it. Like, you know, I, I think about, you know, the black churches because I think about generations and generations and generations before us that pray for us for this moment. Mm -hmm. And we have to do our part. Uh, and we're doing that part. And I think the more we talk about it, I'm a mental health advocate. So I, I talk more about mental health awareness, you know, the eight dimensions of wellness. So long as we continue to have these conversations, uh, corporate America taking an approach to fund organizations uh, to get that word out, you know, provide mental uh, mental health first aid uh, and yeah. continue just to, for us to do everything collectively. Uh, I think, yes, I definitely think yeah. we're on the track. Yeah, I think it's great. We're seeing more um, musicians, more athletes come out and talk about mental health challenges. So I think I definitely think we're, move, we're moving in the right direction. You know, what I would love to see more of, though, is th there are so many moving parts to this mental health space. And um, we, we, we're we doing some, some amazing things right now with the rollout of 988 last July. And uh, states are still expanding Medicaid here in North Carolina. We just um, just got approved to expand Medicaid. Uh, but there's still so much work to be done to, to make sure that as we are, whether we're rolling out 988 or expanding Medicaid, that we're including the, the, the voice of uh, Black and Brown communities in how that looks and how that rolls out and how that shapes out. Because creating more of uh, traditional resources um, is very different from mm -hmm. speaking to the intersectionality of being a, a black man with mental health challenges. I say all the time that for um, it's very different um, for a a 65 year old white male who's having a mental health crisis versus a 35 year old black male. The response is going to be different. The, the access to resources is going to be different. And we still have a lot of work to do on closing those kind of gaps. But I'm glad to see that we're, we're creating space to have these conversations. I do want to get your, your thought on one other thing, mm -hmm. though. It's kind of the the pros and cons. Um, I think it's great that we're having these spaces. There's always a, having these conversations, um, in, you know, in in these spaces. There's always a part of me though that has a little bit of fear that we have a limited pot of resources, limited pot of funding, and when we um, when we're having these conversations and really um, taking upon ourselves in our communities to try to craft resources um, um, and access for black and brown communities, we may oftentimes end up competing for resources um, that would be going to other organizations. And I'm just, I'm just always a little bit leery of that. So I'm always um, hopeful that A, we can have a larger umbrella in our traditional organizations, but uh, but also, I'm hopeful that as we have organizations like the Black um, Excellence Festival or like uh, Black Men Heal and, and like uh, Dr. Alfie's um, project that you mentioned a few minutes ago, that we are collaborating with one another, working with one another, um, sharing resources, um, because I, I think that our um, resources are already limited. And so I would love to see us uh, come together to work work uh, more more strongly together. Black Excellence Festival may be a good um, venue to do just that. 
Yes, definitely. Uh, and I even think about it, you know, let's let's say we get into the politics of it. It's a bipartisan issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, doesn't matter what side of the political fence you're on. You know, we're talking about healing. We're talking about marginalized communities getting access to yeah. heal, you know, to yeah. break those barriers financially, you know, even with our education system. So many of those barriers that are created because of lack of funding. So, yeah. yes, I think a collective effort would actually be great as we move forward. Well, we're about to wrap up. Now, time flies when we're having these conversations. But um, uh, anything that we might have missed, is there anything that you want us to know about the Black Excellence Festival that's coming up? Um, how people can get access if they want to um, to attend the Black Excellence Festival. Um, anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, definitely about the Black Excellence Festival. Uh, available on all social media streams under the Black Excellence Festival. Uh, that be held June 16th, June 18th in Atlantic City, uh, which is the Father's Day Juneteenth weekend. So a lot of uh, purpose behind that. And me personally, uh, I'll be uh, doing a men's conference in the spring of 2024, highlighting some of the things based on my lived experience uh, as a mental health advocate, work uh, which around mental health, around prison reform, and around military, uh, African-American uh, military veterans who face disparity around uh, disability benefits. Fantastic. Well, Doug, thank you so much for uh, for being with me today. And as always, to uh, to our listeners, to our viewers, thank you for joining us today on Strong Talk. Um, And until next time, this has been Strong Talk. Clearly, mental health conditions do not discriminate based on race, color, or gender identity. Yet, we see stark differences in access to and utilization of treatment resources. Approximately one in five adults in the U.S. experience mental illness each year, regardless of their race. Less than half of adults in the U.S. with a mental health condition receive mental health services each year. Black Americans, however, utilize mental health services at about one half the rate of white Americans. This begs the question as to why. There is an anecdotal belief that black men do not want therapy or mental health counseling. I say this is categorically false. What black men want is the same thing everyone else wants, access to treatment, that speaks to who I am as a Black man in America. Access to treatment that acknowledges the unique challenges of being Black in America. Interventions to validate and empower the client, normalize their feelings, and empathize with the unique struggles they face regarding racism and discrimination. We cannot rule out the impact of historical adversity, which has led to race-based exclusion, from health, educational, social, and economic resources. Many Black Americans today still feel the socioeconomic impact of slavery, sharecropping, and Jim Crowism. Socioeconomic status is linked to mental health and that people who are impoverished, homeless, or incarcerated are at risk for poor mental health. We cannot ignore the impact of structural exclusion and systemic racism and social injustice even in our mental health system today. Harsh words to hear, even harsher realities to live. Realities that have created a world in which Black men often feel like society does not value our lives, let alone our thoughts and feelings. When patients are provided with culturally and linguistically appropriate information, they're empowered to create healthier outcomes for themselves 
and their communities. And when they are engaged in the visualization and formation of treatment resources, when they are at the table as trusted partners and messengers, creating resources reflective of their lived experience, they're empowered to create healthier outcomes for everyone. And that is Strong Talk. What's the word? What's the word? Word, word, strong talk, strong talk. What's the word? What's the word? What's the word? Yeah, yeah. What's the word? Strong talk, strong.